Hello world, this is SpartaCast. Episode 12. At age 12, I was really awkward. That's also when I had my first kiss in the Livingston Mall in the hallway to the bathroom. TMI, probably, but that's what I'm going to do at the start of these episodes. Anyway, welcome to SpartyCast, brought to you by the Social and Psychological Research on Technology Interactions Effects Lab, the Sparty Lab at Michigan State University. I am Dr. Robbie Rutan, your host and director of the lab. And today we will be speaking with Anna Pretorius, first author on a paper I discovered about the Proteus effect. Proteus? Pretorius? Coincidence? Uh, Actually, it was, (laughs) apparently. Um, She talks about how she came to this field of research, this interest of hers about her future research, the way she's integrating avatars into Zoom meetings, how that might relate to the Proteus effect, how she understands the fields that I know very well about relationships with avatars and how it relates to what she's doing. I think it's a really exciting discussion, uh, a bright student and, and really nice to talk to. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm thrilled to be here with Anna Pretorius, who is a first author on a paper that I discovered, um, how avatars influence behavior with your co-author Daniel Gorlich. Um, and, and you were both at Heidelberg University when you wrote this paper, but now you're a master's student um, at, oh, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to try at Reutlingen University. That's correct. <laughs> uh, thank you, Anna, for being here. Um, so where are you right now? So I'm in uh, southern Germany in um, a little town close to Heidelberg. Some people might know it. <laughs> yes, and um, I'm very glad to be here. Uh, it's called Friedrichsdorf in German. <laughs> Friedrichsdorf. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds like a German town to me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> precisely. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I didn't think about this, but your last name, Pretorius, it almost sounds like the word Proteus. You're right. I never recognized that. But now as you mentioned it, it's true. Yes. So, <laughs> so maybe so there's maybe always there was... been a connection. <laughs> so that wasn't the reason you decided to study the Proteus effect. <laughs> no, that was not the primarily reason. Um, the, the reason I got into this field is because I tried to find um, like a focus of my studies and my bachelor's degrees was always oh, already back then. And I always had a, um, an interest in psychology, but I studied computer science. So I tried to, um, to bridge a get that gap. And I, I stumbled upon the Proteus effect and I was so fascinated um, about all these uh, questions that are still open. So it's, it's like a, a new field. It started in 2007. It was named uh, that time. And um, there have been some studies since then, but um, these open questions just uh, pulled me in and, and fascinated me the most, yes. Sure. So uh, do you remember where you stumbled across it? Were you doing a research paper or what? Yeah, exactly. It was like a, a, a little research during the, the study. And um, I, I, I found that study of Balenson and I um, thought it would fit perfectly to, to like compare different studies 
that have already been done so far. And I did it in a context of VR. Um, so I found out that there are still some open questions concerning like really um, in, a, in an immersive uh, virtual environment or a desktop environment and what difference does it make, you know, uh, to, to embody so actually, something can... or just see it. I can tell you, um, we we were we ran the meta analysis, which which you guys mentioned in your paper, um, and mm -hmm. but we realized we didn't compare desktop to VR, but we're running that analysis now, and actually Ooh. we find no effect size difference. So actually, the pro yeah, so we're kind of flabbergasted. We're like, why? What is actually moderating this effect? Meaning, like, what variables make it strong or weak? And it does not appear to be the immersiveness of the medium in which you're using an avatar. That's so interesting because that was one topic, uh, like a research gap I, I felt like still existed. But if you were currently focusing on that, I, I would love to read that. So very yeah, exciting. So, so actually, um, I can tell you we're um, taking it another couple steps. Actually, very recently, um, we discovered another hypothesis was unsupported, which is we thought um, people who were in studies where the avatars were uncanny, uh, meaning a little strange looking, maybe those would have low Proteus effect. Um, whereas the ones in which, and so we, we did a brief survey and we asked about uncanniness of the avatar and that wasn't correlated with effect size, but we also asked about image quality. We asked about that just because we wanted a control variable and that one was correlated with the Proteus effect size, but in the opposite direction. So now we have, no, we don't know what is happening. We're, we're writing a new survey. Um, because it doesn't make sense that higher quality images would lead to lower Proteus effect, but maybe there's an artifact there. Maybe the, the studies that use a kind of pre-existing game, which is, is more likely to have high quality images, especially because those are the images we were able to find for our survey here. Um, those would have lower Proteus effects, whereas the ones kind of in uh, create your own virtual, you know, the custom virtual environments, those would maybe have higher effect sizes. That's just our guess. You know, we, we need to, to collect more data, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, I asked how you got into it. And now we're talking about the future, but what about um, the effect itself? What is the, the Proteus effect, um, Anna Pretorius? So um, to, to break it down, because that's a very complex question, if you're true to it, there are many explanatory approaches and influencing factors, but if you break it down, it's like um, an avatar-induced um, attitudinal or be uh, primarily uh, behavioral change um, that's caused by the avatar. So um, uh, you 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 put on an avatar like you put on clothes, and this has an influence on your on your behavior, on your thoughts. So how so? Um, there are there are many different ideas some are contradicting a little but um in the first place there was the self-perception theory so 
this uh, theory states that just as you observe the behavior of other people and draw conclusions about their thoughts and internal processes, you do that with yourself when you look at an avatar. You, you look at the avatar and think about what could uh, lie beneath that? What could cause this avatar to look like that? And then you try to conform to this image you have in your head about him. This could be like stereotypes that you have um, in your head. And uh, these associations lead you to uh, show the behavior that might be expected of that avatar. Absolutely. So, um, so, and you said there's some conflicting arguments. Yes. Do you, do you remember some of the others? Yes, um, like uh, one theory was uh, raised shortly after the first publication uh, from Balenson. It was like, they, they thought it was more like a priming. Uh, the priming was the reason. Priming is like, um, there are different stimuli in your environment. It doesn't just have to be the avatar. It can be your surroundings and other influences. And these are salient. <laughs> Did I say it correctly? Salient in your brain, these stimuli. And they um, uh, there are um, automatic associations that are activated. And um, this influences your following behavior. So it's uh, not like self-perception aspect, like I consciously um, observe the avatar and uh, behave like I think this avatar should behave. It's more like it, it's unconscious, it's automatic. And uh, that's a um, very different approach, actually. So then do you remember how Yi and Balenson responded to that? Yes, uh, they did a study where they compared the um, influence or the difference between being and seeing in an immersive uh, virtual environment compared to like just seeing something on a playback. And um, so they found out that um, being or embodying an avatar makes a, a big difference to the outcome. And that's why I find it so fascinating that you picked that point up and try to, to, to go deeper in it, because that was my thought. There were different studies that also tried the same, but I had always had the feeling that they never really could tear it apart and that there are still that is still difficult to 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 find the the point so i'm very yeah, excited yeah yeah I, I think you um you clearly passed the test and you could even <laughs> teach the class you could give my talks <laughs> you know this phenomenon so well i'm really impressed um and so wait you're a master student in what kind of program right now um it's like human-centered computing so we, it's actually the, the thing that fascinates me the most, like the, the gap between um, psychology and uh, computer science. Um, computer science in an engineering sense. So we develop many things uh, in my, um, at my university, but I always love to do uh, like studies, uh, uh, checking the behavior of people. How do they respond to it? different uh, stimuli that we give like with uh, applications that we developed and uh, currently we are doing a um, avatar configurator uh, that we can implement in different um, like a conference system like zoom like we are talking right now like zoom and you can integrate your avatar and present yourself and uh, interact and that's that's the point where 
uh, actually right now focusing on so we can do studies in different contexts. Also, I'm in a VR lab that's like Sparty lab maybe comparable. So in VR lab, uh, we are trying to integrate that in uh, different other applications. Like one is for, for space missions, one is for um, like medical, uh, like when people had a stroke and they want to move again and they're are also avatars so seeing your own body feeling your own body and seeing it in like a virtual mirror for example that helps you to really get into that new body um, awareness uh, feeling and to really or identify with your avatar. That was also a very big topic in my research like identification and maybe the parallels to the produce effect. Yeah, a very, very interesting area. Have you read the work uh, from Klimt and some of his colleagues on identification? Yeah, there were, were many, many papers I um, read about identification and there was uh, maybe not um, the, the, that one you mentioned, but we draw conclusions about the Van Loy framework or a, a model of identification because we discovered many similarities between your work, uh, your uh, produce effect meta-analysis and uh, the, the, um, the facts out of that study that um, correspond to um, the user avatar bond, like um, self-identification. So yeah, identification. the Van Loy framework is the, the three levels, self-similarity, yes. wishful identification and embodiment. Exactly, um, yes. And it's a very useful measure. It's a very highly used measure. So mm -hmm. what are the parallels? Do you remember? Yes, um, like um, self-similarity, it's like um, the Proteus effect can be enhanced when um, users um, discover uh, certain similarities between their own identity and the, the, the aspects or the qualities of the avatar because they can uh, reveal, this reveals more personally relevant information for them. And so there happens an identification because of that. Um, when it comes to wishful identification, it's like you have an image of um, the avatar that represents traits that you perceive as desirable. And in that moment, you identify with the avatar and through this, this the discrepancy between your self-image and the desirable qualities of the avatar are um, solved or uh, reduced for the time of identification. And the last uh, component is the embodiment factor. It's like um, when you're in a virtual environment, it doesn't matter if it's immersive or not. Um, for the time of media use, um, you slip into this avatar and forget that it's a virtual environment. You're, you're in this world. And uh, this is also an own form of identification. That's, that's like a presence. You're, you're present in that, in that world. Is it possible to have the Proteus effect if the avatar is perfectly me? That's an interesting point. I, I One study comes to my mind and I remember what you said before with the body scans. There was a study, they did body scans of the person, like really the person, like, it, like the person looks. And um, they tried to find out if that person would um, get a creative produce effect. So if the creativity would raise if um, they either had an artist avatar, their own uh, appearance, or the avatar of a, like a, a person who works in a in a bureau or a, a, you know like an office job, an an office uh, sorry an office 
job, exactly. Sure. And uh, they found that an office worker avatar reduced creativity just as the produce effect would suggest. Um, a creative uh, artist avatar did not increase uh, the, the, the creativity and uh, the avatar who looked like just myself uh, also did a little... Uh, uh, increase the, the 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 creativity and uh, there was the thought that uh, the body scans maybe led to an uncanny valley effect so that was a little bit like you you mentioned before but um with a different out outcome and um that was the the, Van the vanderland study right uh exactly yeah, uh, vanderland, Van yeah. yeah. I, I i think it's fascinating because we always think we could uh, use it to enhance uh, something like creativity and uh, decrease something like uh, racial bias or something, but it can always go the other way. We can decrease uh, creativity and we can uh, lead to more uh, um, racial bias. And yeah. that's why we have to be so careful with this effect. It, it, it's, a, it's a tricky one, right? Sometimes yes. um, it depends. Also, if you feel like someone's trying to influence you, then you might react against it to do the opposite. Um, yes. the, the Vanderland study, uh, you know, it contrasts a little bit with the ones coming from Stephanie Gugan um, and, um, <laughs> or sorry, uh, Boussin. Um, yes, uh, where they had uh, inventor avatars, increasing exactly. creativity. Um, yes. And, and she was actually on my podcast also. I, 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 love I heard it. Her. It's great. Yes. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, but here's a question. Let's see. I can I can make the the avatar look exactly like me right now. It is it is photorealistic. There's no uncanny valley. Will it change my behavior theoretically if it's so similar to me that there's nothing to kind of uh, be different? Or can you see it change? Do you know what That's... I mean? such an exciting question you mean you really don't even change the clothes or anything but that that would be the perfect point to check whether maybe your environment has an influence like pri the priming aspect you maybe you have just a plain um, surrounding and nothing is there or if there's something you can find out if maybe priming plays a role so if it's just you and nothing around compared to you in a certain environment then would that would be the priming aspect of the whole thing. And that would help us to understand the explanatory approach influence like priming and self-perception theory better. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Or that's a good, good approach here. Also, there's, um, there's the social identity. Um, right. Where I, and I think a, a paper just came out from um, that group, the Boussin group, where they did the, the clothing as well as the avatar <laughs> identity. Um, and you and you said clothing, right? Uh, clothing is so much like an avatar, right? Go on. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. There are things like little changes we do do every day. We put on other clothes. There are maybe some people use makeup or something, other hairstyle, but maybe plastic surgery is done. Then the next bigger step. But those changes we can do in um, in like virtual environments, they are not possible in the real environment. Like I can change my gender every day or my my sex or whatever and um these changes are um i think it's more difficult for our brain to 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 get into that but we are able to do that we are we have very plastic brains uh, like the plasticity of our brains is uh, huge so we can we can um append to that or we can 
fit in, in, in very different roles that are completely different from what we usually um, are. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so we have all this flexibility, both in the technology and in mm -hmm. our brains. And um, these tools are becoming more mainstream. Like you said, you're working on avatars for Zoom um, video conferencing. And uh, I can tell you actually, so I go, I've been living in California for the last six months and Jeremy Balenson was my old mentor. So I've been going on hikes with him. And then yesterday <laughs> I went on a hike with him and Jeff Hancock who was one of the authors on the priming study with Jorge Pena, um, which is pretty funny because, you know, those studies conflict a little bit, but they're good friends. Uh, Jeff is no longer at Cornell. He's at Stanford now. Um, and, and they, they have a project together. I learned about it when I was going on these hikes with them on zoom fatigue, which is the idea. Have you heard of this idea? Um, you mean like, um, I, I heard about the Zoom boom, like people suddenly want to do plastic surgery because they see their face all the time, but yeah, exactly. um, Zoom fatigue is, is, so, is so it's related correlated? in some ways. So Zoom fatigue is the idea that after being on Zoom meetings all day long, you're very tired, a high level of uh, kind of focusing on your own image makes you feel, you know, like you need plastic surgery. It's also just mentally exhausting. Also, the faces are, are larger than you would normally get. The mutual gaze is off. There's all these reasons. The Balenson wrote a theory argument on this, and then they've got some great follow-up um, literature on that. And I got excited about it. He's working on it with Jeff, who's also this great social media scholar. Um, so I, I thought, wow, this is really important work. I'm going to do a zoom fatigue study myself. And we found that, um, women are also, this is consistent. Women experience more zoom fatigue than men. Um, traditionally about 14% more on average, or, um, if we look at the people in the top level, um, women are 70, more than 70% more likely to have a high level of Zoom fatigue than men. And so this is kind of, it's disappointing um, because culturally we put pressure on women to, uh, to appear a certain way, right? There are these norms that men don't have as much. Um, and so one thought here is avatars are the solution. In these meetings, you know, if you're not looking at yourself, you don't need you don't need to worry about makeup and clothes. Um, and maybe you can even improve the way that people interact because the avatar can smile more and uh, nod its head and in synchrony with the other person to create more social presence. So, um, so that's kind of my that's that's my excitement about this area. But you're actually making avatars for Zoom. So tell me exactly. Like, and that's yeah, go on, you're go right. on, yeah. that's What's what it? I talked about with my um, colleagues at uh, my university. And uh, that was the the first thought to to develop something like that, because we thought, wouldn't it be great just you get out of bed and you don't look that perfect and just put on an avatar that looks like amazing just styled perfectly and maybe laughs a little bit more than you feel like doing yes. that's what i read in um jerry balanson wrote a book like uh, experience on demand maybe maybe mm -hmm. you you read it and, and he, that's he, where he mentioned that uh, like um the the avatar smiles a little more and it influences your your um the person you're talking to exactly and it comes out of um his kind of theoretical framework is called transform social interaction Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so I, you, you and I, like, we know a lot of the same stuff, but you're a master's student. You've got your whole career ahead of you. This is amazing. I'm so excited um, for you in this field. So then, um, how, so last question, how can the Proteus effect be used 
in this virtual meeting context to improve education or office work meetings, that kind of thing. What do you think? Like what kinds of avatars should the, uh, the employees be using? That's a very good question. I recently did a study on how the, the avatar should look, and it's, it depends on the context. Uh, the context influences how you perceive your avatar and the user avatar relation changes. You can see it maybe as a tool. You can see it as like um, myself. It should represent myself. You can see it also as like a symbiont, maybe another role or a wishful or, or desirable quality. You're thinking like... about J Jamie Banks. Uh... Exactly. Exactly, yes. Or you can see it as a friend. And we try to tease that apart in different contexts. We used like a working context when you, you try to cooperate with people to reach a goal together. Or the other thing is like gaming. Okay, there it's very uh, different because you have many different game looks and it's dependent on that. But we took that into too because they did a player avatar thing and we also mm -hmm. took that into account sure. and then there was uh, like meeting with friends that's a very different thing and we found out that most of the cases we had uh, either a realistic avatar like uh, really photo realistic uh, or um, um, like uh, low poly or um, comic like like a little cute a little bit cute and we found out that in the working context and in the um uh, uh, meeting with uh, in the working context and in the gaming context it was like low poly mostly but uh, uh, in the gaming context the others it's like depends on your preferences uh, like game uh, on the gaming context but uh, in the meeting with friends you are more likely to choose an avatar that really resembles you a realistic avatar so in the working context you'd use an avatar that looks low poly because this corresponds with an avatar that um, an avatar relation like a tool. You want to use it to interact with your environment. While when you're meeting with friends, you want it to resemble yourself to like um, show who I am and you want to see your friends as you know them. And that's a very interesting point we found out. We tr tried to find those correlations between the context and the uh, representation form and the player avatar relation. And that's uh, what we try to find out here. And so in... Um, it, it depends. So if you're trying to make an avatar for Zoom, it depends on how you use your avatar. Do you use it for work? Do you use it for a meeting with friends? Do you use it for um, uh, gaming? And I don't think it's gaming, maybe in Discord or something, but in uh, work and uh, meeting with friends, it's a different thing. So that should be in mind. And yeah. That, that's really fascinating. I never thought about that connection. That's kind of the, uh, the psychological model of choosing an avatar. Um, and, and so I guess in some ways, yeah, you're, you're using the banks framework. That's, mm -hmm. that's a really great idea. I, um, I often, I teach that framework. Uh, Jamie's a, a friend as well. And she's done great avatar research. Now she's focusing a little bit more on interactions with robots and, and agents um, using games to, to study some of that um, it, it, as that context. But, um, oh man, you, <laughs> I really like your work, uh, Anna. It's great. I'm going to share my screen for a minute here. Um, and this is a theoretical argument that I proposed for um, for the book that Jamie edited called Avatars Assembled. I don't know if you've come across that book. 
Oh, uh, that sounds so cool. I, I haven't read the book. I just uh, know the paper and I think it's so cool. You know everything I, I, I uh, mentioned. It's, it's amazing. Oh, absolutely. Like this is, yeah. So I'm in the field of communication, but really <laughs> focused on um, human uh, avatar interaction. Um, and so, so for this book, I said, I want to write about the Proteus effect, but someone already had it. So she said, well, I've been doing some uh, research on cars, automotive vehicles, and, um, and thinking about them as avatars. So she said, write about that, you know, cars and, and uh, companions as avatars. So I took her par types. So avatar as me, self, <sighs> avatar as object, and avatar as social other. Um, right. And I mapped it. This is like way too complicated. No one ever is going to cite this model. Um, I mapped it onto social cognitive theories factors. Do you know this Bandura theory? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Albert Bandura. I, I, yeah. So yes, yes. Um, avatar. So so behavioral, personal, and environmental mm -hmm. factors. And then so we've got digital selves, digital vehicles, and the argument and, and digital companions. And the argument is that like. As you become a companion, it becomes more autonomous. So that's Avatar's social other. Um, and it doesn't look the same. So less similarity on the Van Loy scale. Um, as it becomes more like the self, more similarity, more of your own traits. Um, and then the goals are either more with the self or more functional. Um, and, and so then when you have lots of control and functional goals, it's the object. So that's that's kind of the theoretical argument there. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's very relevant to you, but <laughs> that's uh, so exciting uh, because I would love to be the first one to <laughs> take that and uh, take that and influence my work with it. That's um, so great. Uh, I love I love the work you're doing. I would love to be informed uh, on it. Uh, it's, it's absolutely. Very Let's stay in touch. Um, You don't have social media, you said, but <laughs> no. we can stay in touch over at least uh, YouTube and uh, and the podcast, you know, you can follow. And then over email, I need to develop some sort of network of people. So do you know many other people who are as interested in this as you are? I um, like I convinced many people at my university to step into it with me. So, yeah, I, I think uh, there are other people who would like to join. And um, maybe if you like, uh, like a book recently appeared on virtual augmented reality, where I focus more, like you mentioned, on um, influencing factors like feedback loops. Also very interesting topic to tease apart from the produce effect because there are cross relations and um, yeah. Uh, the other studies so there's so much we can uh, learn maybe from each other and but it's just really great to see someone who's super interested in this topic that I also kind of happened upon and, and discovered a passion for thank you Anna <laughs> thank you for being with us thank you for having me <laughs> it was great let's take a moment for a message from our sponsor but we don't have a sponsor, but this is practice. So I'd just like to direct your attention to Impact 89 FM, the Michigan State University College radio station. They are an amazing radio station. You should totally check them out. You can go to impact89fm.org to check out their programming, listen to their podcasts, read their schedule for their different programs, learn about the students who are working at Impact and otherwise get involved. All right, that was our interview with Anna Pretorius. And it was, I think, really informative for me. It, it brought me back to my 
young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed student self a bit. Um, she knows a lot about this concept, and, and she's clearly um, investing time and effort into developing research and technology related to Proteus, Proteus phenomena, avatar effects. So good for her. Good for her. Uh, I, I will definitely stay in touch with her. Um, but also, yeah, it's good to build a network of people in your research interest areas. And when you hit my stage of the career, um, associate level, I've been told by, by people ahead of my stage, Rich Ling uh, gave me this advice. Rich is uh, the outgoing editor of JCMC, this really amazing mobile communication scholar. And, um, and he said, you need to build a community around your research interests at this stage. It's not only about getting yourself published, um, and it's not just about supporting colleagues generally, it's about supporting colleagues who are interested in doing research that relate to your kind of passion so that you can have mutually kind of symbiotic relationships with those people. And so Anna Pretorius is now a member of my brain network of Proteus Effect researchers, along with many others, and hopefully you too out there, whoever is listening. So thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please like, follow, download, subscribe, tell your mom and dad and neighbor. And um, our producers are George McNeil and Taylor Halterman. Thank you very much for listening to the Sparty cast. And I hope to see or hear you next time. Actually, I hope you hear or see me next time. And thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world.